All right. We're halfway through. Uh, we're going to continue in the book of Esther. If you want to go ahead and turn there. And, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll let you know up front that uh, the, the part that we're going to uh, talk about today is my favorite uh, section of the, the passage of the scripture, but also my favorite part of the movie. Now, I told you that, that uh, I've been using clips from the movie uh, called One Night with the King. Now, remember, if you go out and rent this or whatever you're going to do, if you're going to rent it on Amazon or wherever you're going to get it, remember, there's a lot of artistic licensing that takes effect with uh, a lot of things, especially when they do uh, Bible movies and, and especially even documentaries and stuff. Um, so make sure that it's fine to watch a movie for entertainment value, but... but I want you to know what Scripture actually says happens and compare it to what the movie is. And, and uh, that might be like an interesting little thing for you to do if, if you would choose to uh, watch the movie. So we are going to be, we're going to start in uh, Esther chapter 5 today really fast. Um, I'm going to give you kind of a, a rundown of, of where we are so far. And so... At the beginning of Esther, we find that the king throws a huge party. They're going to war pretty soon. And so the king throws a huge party. And so during this party, where the drinks are free and unlimited and everything, and, and it turns out badly, they asked, the king asked for uh, Queen Vashti to come before him and the entire group, and she refuses. Well, the king gets mad and gets, you know, counsel and everything. And so they banish Vashti from, the, from ever appearing before the king again. So she can no longer come in, into the kingdom. And so after a little bit of time, when he calms down a little bit, he realizes, well, I need a, key, a queen to leave in charge once we go to war, when, when I'm not around. We need somebody in charge. So he sends out his officials and uh, they, they go all over the region that, that the king is over, and they find all the qualifying women uh, and bring them back. All the ladies go through a year, 12-month process of beautification and different things like that, uh, different perfumes and oils and all that type of stuff, for 12 months before they're even presented to the king as a candidate for queen. Well, uh, Queen or uh, um, uh, Esther, she is taken with the ladies, with the other ladies, and she ends up winning the heart of the king. And, and during the, the course of the, you know, the Bible story, we realize that uh, not only is Esther beautiful on the outside, but she's beautiful on the inside. She, she treats everybody with respect and kindness and, and all those type of things. And so she wins the heart of the king. And so <clears throat> about this time is when two very important things happen in the story. And I want to make sure that we, we cover this. About this time is when there's there are two officials out at the front gate, the king's gate, and they the king has done something to them or they don't agree with the king on something and they plot to assassinate the king. Well, luckily, remember I talked about that last week, there's no such thing as luckily. Luckily, 
Mordecai is standing at the king's gate while these two are plotting to kill the king. So just by chance, right? Are you with me? Just by chance, luckily, just by chance, he is able to tell Queen Esther about the plot. The queen tells the king, he checks it out, comes back true, so he kills these two officials. Then he has written in the annuals, the, the documentation of everything that goes on in the kingdom, he writes down and, and they give Mordecai credit for saving the king's life. That's one thing that happened during this time. The other thing that is going on is we've got the bad guy, the villain of the story, Haman. Now he is coming up through the ranks. The king is really impressed by him and how he conducts himself and all those type of things. He gets promoted to second in charge. And so what happens is Haman, because of his family history, uh, a lot of things that happened to his great-great-grandfather, all, all this other kind of stuff, he hates the Jews. Like, it's, it's worse than Hatfield and McCoy hate. He hates the Jews. And so he gets promoted to second in command. Well, well the, the king says, anytime Haman is coming down the street, riding a donkey or a horse or whatever he's doing, anytime that he gets paraded through the... Everybody needs to bow before Haman. Well, guess who doesn't like that rule? Uncle Mordecai. So he stands at the gate and Haman rides by. Then guess what? Haman finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, so now he hates the Jews and Mordecai equally. Right? And so that's where we are now. And so... So last week, what we learned is that his hatred for the Jews got is so bad that he told the king, there's a group of people in your kingdom that don't obey your laws, they don't respect you. Uh, if they would choose to rise up against us, you have no way to fight them because there's so many in number, right? And he says, what you ought to do, king, what you ought to do is you ought to let me make an edict, because I'm second in command now, let me make an edict that all these people be destroyed, that they all be annihilated, all their belongings be plundered, so basically they just become extinct. The, and, and Haman never told them who the, the group of people were, and the king never asked. So the king says, you know what? I think that's a good idea. I'm not even sure if he was drunk this time or not, but he said, that was, that's a pretty good idea. So he gives Haman the ability to make that eating, and it goes out. <clears throat> Last week, remember that uh, they, we, we talked about uh, once the Jews realized what was happening when, when they saw the eating, uh, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth, and covered himself with ashes, and he was out in the middle of the street, out in the king's gate, well, well, Esther, she asked, Mordecai, why are you doing that? Through a, a servant, would go back and forth. She didn't even know that Haman had made the decree yet. And so he goes back, he says, well, this is what happened. The, you know, this Haman, he's done this, and we're all going to be annihilated. Uh, unless, here's Mordecai's great idea. Unless you go 
to the king and plead for mercy for his people. And she responds back. She says, well, you know, it's been, it's been a, a while. It's been a while since the king called me in. And if you go before the king without being summoned, you get killed immediately. And he says, well, here's the deal. <coughs> you've been placed, who knows, that you've been placed in this kingdom for such a time as this. One thing I want to point out is that God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, but his hands are all over it. And how he directs, how he conducts this entire thing is amazing once you get at the end of the story and look back and realize that he was in control of all this the entire time and he had a plan. No matter what Haman planned on doing for evil, God was going to make it work out for good, right? Is that any different in your life? No. And we've talked about several times. If you believe in an all-powerful, all-knowing God that's ever-present everywhere, that created the universe and everything in it, and he's in control of all of it, then why do we struggle so much when things don't go our way? When things don't go the way we thought they ought to go, and we wonder... Did this slip, slip through God's hand? Is he in control of absolutely everything in the whole wide world except for this one thing in my life? And I told you, that's what people are watching out there. An unsaved world is watching how you react to difficult situations in your life. Because that tells them whether or not you truly believe what you say you believe. So Mordecai says, you've been placed in this, in this place for such a time as this. She replies, okay, have all the Jews uh, fast for three days. At the end of the three days, I'm going to go. And if I die, I die. And she comes, and after the three days, and this is where the video ended last week, she comes and, and <clears throat> she goes before the king. And everybody's hollering and yelling, and again, that's in the movie. It's not necessarily in scripture, but they're they're all, you know, she comes unannounced and all this. And so the guy's getting ready to cut, and the king stopped, reached out his golden scepter, she touched it, she was saved. So now let's find out in chapter five, verse one. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace, in the front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When, she, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her his, the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached it and touched it Touched the tip of the scepter. Verse 3. When then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of my kingdom, I will give it to you. If it pleases the king, 
Esther replied, Let the king, together with Haman, come to today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. Now, oddly enough, and, and once we go through this, it'll make a little bit more sense. But oddly enough, at this point, Esther doesn't come out and say, here's what Haman's plans are in front of everybody, the whole kingdom and everybody. Here's what Haman's plans are and, and why it's a big deal. And, and guess what? I'm part of that group. She doesn't do that. She invites him and Haman to dinner, which is a little bit, a, a little bit odd. And then even more oddlier, <clears throat> I don't think that's right, but I wrote it down. Even more oddlier, uh, it, it's, it's that the, in, during that first meal, she does the same thing a second time. She said they're, they're eating all around and he says, well, what would you like? What's your request? And she says, well, I really, you know what I'd really like? If you guys would come back to dinner tomorrow night. And so they agree, right? Verse 9, let's go down to verse 9. Haman went out that day happy and high in spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he never rose, neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. <laughs> Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together, uh, we're going to read down to verse 14. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had uh, elevated him above uh, above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, he says. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Verse 14. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching the height of 50 cubits, which is about 75 feet. That's a tall pole, isn't it? 75 feet. Uh, and ask the king in the morning, timing is important here, God is in the details, ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then, Go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. So just think about a couple of things that we just realized. One, Haman's crazy. Two, it's in the middle of the night, right? And he's having these guys put up a 75-foot pole with the intent of tomorrow morning, he's going to convince the king Allow me to impale Mordecai on there. Just because he won't stand up or sit down in my presence. Well, other than he's a Jew. That's what's going on. And so you've got the first dinner. 
You've got the request for a second dinner the next night. You've got 24 hours. This is all happening within that, that 24 hours. And it was bedtime. And everyone, but apparently the king or Haman, could sleep very well. And again, this is my my this this part is my favorite part of scripture or this verse or this uh, story and the movie clip. Here's let's look at verse uh, chapter six, chapter six verses one through six. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of Chronicles and uh, the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there just. Ironically, right? It just so happens they turned right to the spot uh, where, uh, where Mordecai had exposed Bethana and Teresh, the two of the king's officials, who guarded the doorway who conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Verse 3. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who, who is out in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole that he had set up for him. Verse 5. His attendants answered, Haman is standing out in the court. Right? Luckily, luckily my second in command is standing right out there. Wow, this couldn't have worked out any better. Bring him in, king ordered. Verse 6. When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Penny, let's watch that clip. Mordecai, the Jew. <laughs> 
So that is my favorite part of the story and the favorite part of that entire movie. If you don't think for a second that God has a good humor, this story should lay that to rest. The way that this works out, the way that it plays out, the way that, that he allows all the pieces to maneuver around, and then he gets everything just in the right spot, and when when he when Mordecai or the when Haman goes up and says, you know, he is ready to have Mordecai impaled in a matter of hours. But it just so happened that the king couldn't sleep that night. And luckily, he turned right to that passage where it was that Mordecai hadn't been honored yet. And then Haman is in the court, he brings him up. What needs to be done for this guy that, 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 that saved my life? So Haman goes through this like he thinks this is going to be done to me. That was the best thing that Haman could think of at the time. This is what needs to happen to me. I deserve this. And then he goes, that is a great idea. Now go do that to Mordecai. What? Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Deuteronomy 32, 35 tells us that vengeance is mine and repayment for the time uh, for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of calamity of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Swiftly, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen says, "I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance on them." Romans. Uh, 12, 19 tells us, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It is vitally important for us as believers to remember that when someone does us wrong in our eyes, would you understand it is never right to take matters into your own hands? In my opinion, when, when Jesus was talking about turning the other cheek when you're wrong and everything like that, this is what this is talking about. You're turning the other cheek because you, got, you know that God is going to take care of it. You know that God has your back. You know he has the power, he has the strength, he has the ability to do whatever he wants to do the person that has wronged you. And let me tell you, he can come up with a lot better scenarios that you can. As proven, I think, in the story of Esther. I could never have dreamed up a plot line like that. But God's like, watch this. Watch how this plays out. Listen, folks. One thing I want us to learn from today's part of the story is if you are wronged by somebody, let God handle it. Let God take care of whatever, the way he sees fit to do it. And when he commands us to turn the other cheek, do it. Let it go. Can you imagine, if we, if we can grasp this one thing, 
how much more peace we will have in our life. This one thing, if we learn very well to turn the other cheek, allow God to handle situations like he is going to handle them, how much more peace would you have in your life right now? If your mind wasn't always wrapped up about, well, then can you believe she said that to me in Sunday school class today? Or can you believe walking in here, he said such and such to me? Boy, am I going to get him back? I don't know when. Now, Dixie has threatened to get me back <laughs> several times because of our cornhole uh, issues. <clears throat> it's a little bit different, Dixie. <laughs> but listen, folks. Stop holding on to stuff. Stop holding on to stuff that was never yours to hold on to in the first place. Let go of whatever anger you have built up inside you because it will lead to, and a lot of you even know this, it'll affect you physically. So not only will you have more peace in your life, you'll feel better. And yet we still hold on to junk, don't we? With a death grip. Because for some reason, we think we know better than God what needs to happen to that person. Now, we got to have faith. We have to have faith that God knows what he's doing. So let's go to, uh, we're still in uh, chapter 6. Let's uh, finish out this chapter. Uh, we're going to read verses 12 through 14. After Mordecai returned to the king's gate, or afterward, after, the, after they paraded him through the streets, afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. Do you notice the change in his attitude? Who else can the king? It's got to be me. Just a few hours later, look how he is. His head covered in grief. He told Zeresh, his wife, and all of his friends, everything that had happened, how humiliating would that have been? He was just bragging on himself a little bit ago. His advisors and his wife, uh, Zeresh, said to him, since Mordecai, and here's the point that we need to get to, folks. Here's what we need to get to in our life, is how Haman's advisors and, and his wife, uh, this is what they say. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Listen, I believe I still serve the same Old Testament God now. This same God that is in the Old Testament, this same God that took care of Joseph, that took care of Moses, that took care of Esther, that took care of all these great people in the Old Testament, guess what? He still has the power to take care of you. He also has the desire to take care of you, the willingness to take care of you. But a lot of times we choose to kind of hold that back. Because we can't let something go, something that somebody did to us or said to us, 
We can't let it go. Listen, if you are a believer here this morning, you are one of God's chosen people. And just like this read, I'm going to read it again. You cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Do you understand that if you would allow God to take care of things, this would be true in your life as well? People can't stand against you. They will come to ruin. God's going to protect you. And the closer we walk to the Spirit, the easier that, that becomes. Verse 14, and this is what we'll end with. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. She's getting ready to spill the beans. She's getting ready to tell the king everything that's going on, who's behind the plot. Everything is getting ready to come out in the open. But that'll have to happen next week. <clears throat> Let go of whatever you're holding on to this morning. Stop dragging it around. It is not yours to drag. Allow God to work his amazing abilities. Vengeance on your part. That sounds kind of harsh. But man, I'd rather let God just deal with it. He knows best anyway, right? Let's try our best this week to let something go. Let some hatred go. Let some, some anger go. <coughs> let a grudge go. Allow some peace into your life. Lord, we thank you so much for... This great service that we had this morning, we, I personally want to thank Penny and Cheryl for stepping up, and, and Lord, I just pray that you would bless them for their willingness to help, Lord. Lord, I just, as we walk out of here this morning, I want us to realize that people are watching us. People are watching if we hold grudges against co-workers. People are watching if we hold grudges against family members. People are watching. An unsaved world is watching what we do. Lord, I pray that, that we would practice, we would begin practicing this exercise of forgiving others, letting go of things, letting you deal with the situation. Lord, I thank you for everything you're doing at our church, in our individual lives, and all the blessing that you continue to pour down on us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's please stand and sing Just As I Am. It's page 307 of the following in the hymnal. Otherwise, it will be on the board.